0: Well, hello, Bible love listeners. Here we are in August. We are back from a great summer and we are jumping back into the Bible. And so we have a dear friend here today to help us do that. Um, But before we begin, um, in my part of the world, school has already started, but in the normal parts of the world, school is beginning to start. And so we wanted to do this litany Um, of a blessing for the school year. So the Lord be with you.
1: And also with you. you.
0: God, as our children return to the rhythm of the school year, we ask for blessing upon them, that they may learn and grow, that they may make and be good friends, that they may have their minds opened, that their hearts may be soft, that they may be protected from evil, that they may be filled with love, As they make independent decisions each day, be with them. As they work and play, be with them. As they relate to to other people, be with them. As they navigate tricky situations, be with them. As they confront their own hearts, be with them. For their teachers, we pray for endless wells of patience. Let it be so. Wisdom and insight into each child, let it be so. Creativity and abundant resources, let it be so. We know that safety is never guaranteed for anyone, but we ask for it anyway. That your angels would guard and keep them. That kind people would surround them. Give us wisdom as we raise and teach them to model kindness, empathy, and awareness, to encourage creativity and open-mindedness, and to love and welcome them wholeheartedly. Amen.
2: So we are back. Last week, we we caught up on what we did over the summer and set the stage for what's happening. And so, as we dive back into the Bible, we welcome back our good friend Dr. Tony Hopkins, who is the interim senior minister at First Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. He's serving up there now, so he's no longer neighbor colleagues with uh, Mary Balfour, but here they still go to lunch, and so I'm
0: jealous of that. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so he's here to help us walk through Proverbs as we kick off the second half of and hopefully finish up the Old Testament over the next couple of months. Tony, how are you?
1: I am well. I'm, I'm happy to be back. Always great to see you guys. I love spending time with you. I love talking to your Bible love listeners. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So we're jumping into Proverbs.
1: Yeah, Mary Balfour, your prayer was perfect. Uh, wisdom and insight.
0: Yeah, that's
1: that's what the book of Proverbs is about. The book of Proverbs is part of the Hebrew Bible, what we think of as the Old Testament. Uh, You will remember there are three divisions, the law, the prophets, the writings. Proverbs is part of the writings, that final division of the Hebrew Bible. And by genre, it's part of the wisdom literature, along with uh, Job and Ecclesiastes and When we did Psalms, we talked about some wisdom Psalms, and so the book of Proverbs fits right in with that. Um, The title that we have comes to us from the Latin Bible, the Vulgate, which is proverbia, but in Hebrew it's Meshalim. the singular is a Meshal. A Meshal is a proverb, an aphorism, a, a riddle, a parable, a piece of instruction, and that's what this book is full of. Every culture has proverbial wisdom. Two heads are better than one. Mm -hmm. Beauty is only skin deep. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. I mean, we all kind of intuitively relate to Proverbs because they give us these short, pithy sayings that are memorable. They have some moral or some lesson or some bit of instruction. And so when we read Proverbs, we kind of feel at home, more at home than we do in other parts of Scripture, I think. Um, generally speaking, there are two main forms in the book of Proverbs, what I would call instruction. These are longer passages, relatively speaking. They're a little more extended The Proverbs are what we think of more often, the shorter, kind of pithier sayings. And you may remember from the Psalms, we talked about how uh, some of the couplets, some of the two-line sayings in the Psalms were synonymous. The, The second line sort of restates the first line. Some of them were antithetical. So the examples I put in the notes uh, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who reverts to folly. I mean, that's memorable. You can't forget that. And what so that comparison, the second line is like the first. Uh, an antithetical saying, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The mind of the wicked is of little worth. So there are kind of two, two sides of the coin. Uh, The Proverbs can further be divided or sort of subdivided into admonitions or instruction sentences. And these are commands. They're in the imperative mood. If I say, listen to me and do what I say, that's the imperative mood. That's that's a command. But there are also sayings or wisdom sentences that are in the third person, a wise person. Listens to her mother and does what she says, and so they both convey similar ideas, but one is just a little more, a little more forceful than the other. Uh, what are the unique? Can I
0: ask you a question, sure, please? Sorry for interruption. So right. in the first section, you know these these lines that may feel like what, like what? What are you supposed to? <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to get out of that? You know, like I understand listen to your mother. Like that's that's straightforward. I get it, you know, understand. But why do you think some of that's there of that kind of like what? That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I mean, just curious your thoughts on well, that.
1: Well, it is by definition, wisdom is is culturally contextualized. You know, there are a lot of proverbs in our culture that wouldn't make sense in another culture. I remember being in a seminary class and my professor called someone a Mickey Mouse theologian. And we had to stop the class and explain to the non-Americans who Mickey Mouse is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, or in our culture, you know, we have a plant that's almost impossible to kill that is nicknamed mother-in-law's tongue. Yeah. That's, that's culturally contextual, and other cultures' mothers-in-law are much more highly venerated than they are. So, part of I think what you're describing, Mary Balfour, is that that we're you know we're we're fast-forwarding 2,500 years, and we're and we're skipping culture. But still, I think a lot of this kind of rings true has has a familiar feel to it. Now, what's unique in the Book of Proverbs is not only is it culturally conditioned wisdom, it is spiritually or religiously conditioned wisdom. And so one of the unique things about Proverbs is it actually has a purpose statement. It tells us, most of the books we've read don't say, this is why this book is being written, but the book of Proverbs does. And so it's just a few verses, and I I thought I might just read it because it gives us a good feel. It's kind of a microcosm of the book for learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Let the wise also hear and gain in learning. Let the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure The words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you hear this vocabulary, wisdom, insight, knowledge, learning, listening, hearing. These these terms are so closely connected. They're almost interchangeable. So that's the objective. But what does that really mean? On the one level, it's very practical. The book of Proverbs is going to tell us how to live day by day and hour by hour. But that is inseparable from the ethical component in the text we just read. Righteousness, justice and equity. If all you get from the book of Proverbs is how to live a daily life in a way that makes you successful. You miss the point. Relationships need to be characterized by justice and equity. And the basis for all of this is righteousness. So that last verse, verse seven, the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so in the book of Proverbs, God is rarely mentioned, but always assumed. Hmm. So there's, there's I have
0: heard that before, and I and I yeah. appreciate that.
1: Yeah. So 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 everything that we're told is designed to help us live. Not not. I mean, the writer of Proverbs or writers of Proverbs would be happy for us to be successful, but. That has a religious context, a faith context. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And in the book of Proverbs, that is fear, both in the sense of reverence, but also a little bit of in the presence of the sovereign God of creation, we might even shake in our boots a little because God is God and we are not.
2: This makes me think um, this Sunday, this is a time where we're recording this a couple of weeks early. So if you're following along the lectionary, think back a couple of weeks. We heard in First Kings, Solomon, you know, he is praised for making a wise decision. And because he makes a wise decision, he's given power and knowledge, all of these things. And it makes me think of that with Proverbs. This isn't, they're not giving us the answer key to life, right? They're not, here, learn these things and you'll go out and you'll be able to conquer all of life's challenges it's training us to make not the correct decision but the right like the morally right the ethically right the the wise Mm -hmm. decision i think that's an important distinction because too often i think we look at proverbs as just trite pithy you know live your best life now kind of things
1: right yeah this is more than the seven habits of highly effective people Yeah, yeah it's deeper And you have to pay attention, though, to see that it's not the the faith aspect of it is not nearly as on the surface as it is in many other books. But we should never make the mistake of thinking that it is not foundational because it is.
0: Well, and I think that's so important because sometimes when we hear we talk about like fearing God, like for some people. I wonder if they hear this if they like might go back in their mind to a time when the church hurt them, right? Because they were, you know, sort of preached at and in a certain way and you, you, if you don't behave this way, you're, you know, you're going to hell, you know, whatever those words may be and I know the church has hurt people in that respect. Right. You yeah. know, and I think they validate that preachers sometimes validate that from places like Proverbs right. you know, and and like misuse that, you know. So um, talk about that a little bit, Tony, and well, it's helping us understand that's not what you're saying.
1: In, in the Hebrew Bible, fear of the Lord has to do with the sovereignty of God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, in Jesus Christ, God has drawn near to us. God has entered into our world and into our lives. And that's and that's wonderful. But I think we could say that in the Christian church, sometimes we're we're, we're a little almost too chummy with God. I mean, one of the one of the reasons I think the, the church fathers and mothers kept the Hebrew Bible is the Hebrew Bible is very clear that God is God and we are not. hmm. What, what was the first temptation in the Garden of Eden? You can be like God. You can take God's place. Why did they want to build a tower in Babel? Because they they aspired to be God. No, 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 no. God is God and we are not. And so really, I think the best overall synonym, synonym is reverence.
0: Yeah, I love that. We need, to,
1: we need to be reverent where God is concerned. Yes, Jesus has poured out great love on us, but Jesus had deep reverence for God. Absolutely. So and I think eat.
0: that's such an important reminder that yeah. we are not God, you know. And yes, we need to um talk to God like we would a friend. We need to, you know, experience that, but God is our Lord, you know, and 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 there is a reference. <clears throat> needs to happen there so i really appreciate that i just didn't want anyone to hear it and like go in a place they shouldn't go and so i think that reverence is a really important word
1: to to try to be as precise as i can mary balfour we don't need to hear proverbs or any of the writers in the hebrew bible say be afraid of what god is going to do to you but we do need to hear them say god is god and we are not yeah that's a good word. And Alan, you mentioned Solomon. Solomon is kind of the fountainhead or maybe figurehead is a better term for wisdom in the Hebrew Bible in general and Proverbs in particular. The book is hard to summarize because it's so eclectic. There's so many topics. But there are six headings in the book when you want to think about organization. And I listed those in the notes so everybody could have them in one place. And three of those are associated with Solomon. First King says that Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs. But I'll remind us when we did the Psalms that I said a Psalm of David could mean a Psalm David wrote, but it could mean a Psalm written in the style of David, a Psalm written by someone who appreciated David and wanted to be part of that tradition. And the same thing is true with the Proverbs. These, These Proverbs that are labeled Proverbs of Solomon, they may have been written by Solomon, Uh, They may have been spoken by Solomon and just handed down through oral tradition, or they may have been written by somebody later on who said, we need to have the wit and wisdom of Solomon. And all of that is valuable, valuable to our tradition. It doesn't in any way undermine them to say Solomon did not personally write all of them. Right. Um, The other thing that I love about the book of Proverbs, this gets my vote for its its most valuable contribution to our spiritual lives. In a very helpful way, the book of Proverbs blurs all of the lines between the sacred and the profane. God permeates everything. God permeates creation. God permeates our lives. God permeates our relationships. That means everything is holy. Mm -hmm. So again, there's the basis for our wisdom. God has made everything holy. So we need to be wise in how we think about it and deal with it. So on the one hand, it's very practical. Choose virtue, choose goodness, integrity, righteousness, sobriety, industry, honesty, And avoid vice, avoid pride, avoid gossip, avoid slander, avoid drunkenness. That's all practical on one level, but on another level, it's very ethical. It's grounded in the fact that we want to live lives that are pleasing to God. And so this wonderful mixing of sacred and profane, of practical and ethical And and the writer of Proverbs, this language is way too modern. The writer of Proverbs wouldn't have said this. But in our context, this is helpful to me. Wisdom, as it's taught in Proverbs, has a cognitive dimension. The wise person thinks about life in a certain way. It has a volitional dimension. The wise person chooses things that are pleasing in the sight of God, and it has a behavioral dimension. The wise person acts and behaves a certain way. So now it's really coming into focus that the writer of Proverbs is not interested in objectivity. The writer of Proverbs says there is one way of thinking and living that is better than all the other ways. And that has to do with reverence and righteousness and justice.
0: And don't you think we need to be reminded of that often? I mean, I need to be reminded of things all the time. I, I feel like I've said this on the podcast before. So if I have, I'm sorry, but I'll never forget um, when I first started at Resurrection in the 830 service, which is from the Book of Common Prayer, right 1. Um it, the the 10 commandments are, 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 kind of not all the 10 commandments, but they're laid out there, you know? And for some reason they had been taken out of the bulletin and somebody came up to me and they're like, can we put the laws back? <laughs> and I was like uh-huh. laughing because that person like needs to hear that every week. They need to hear what the commandments are. They need to hear how to look, live justly and how to live right and and so i'm grateful for proverbs in that fact of just like we are fallible human beings and we need to be reminded because we're going to make mistakes and we're going to mess up and it's a nice thing to know it's pretty laid out and clear
1: yeah but, and so because we needed to be reminded of that where do we get that we get that from community the community that collected this wisdom that shared it for us And so another thing the book of Proverbs says is that wisdom is empirical. It can be observed. If you're paying attention, pay attention to the way that God ordered the creation, Mm -hmm. pay attention to the way that God created human beings, pay attention to the way that God determined that what would give life its greatest meaning and purpose and joy is relationships. So in that sense, We have these reminders from one another, collectively from the community. So on the one hand, wisdom is learned, and maybe it's not the other hand, but just saying the same thing another way. Uh, Wisdom is observed, but it's also taught and learned. And so as we read Proverbs, we, we hear a lot of pupils, pay attention to your teachers, children, pay attention to your parents. These are... Two really important paradigms, both in the ancient world and in our world, for how faith and the wisdom of our faith gets shared. Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers and pupils, parents and children, and especially in the ancient world, students in the classroom called their teachers fathers. Um, you know, There was a lot of overlap between good teachers are parental and good parents teach. And, and, you, and you certainly get a sense of that in, in the book of Proverbs.
0: Yeah. Maybe that's why everybody wants to call Alan and I mother and father, which I'm yeah. fine with, but I'm totally against. Well, uh, it, it,
1: I mean, exactly. Why did that language come into the church? Well, read the New Testament. We are right. brothers and sisters to Christ and to one another. Paul says to his churches, you're like my children. We get that. Those of us who are pastors get that. The way we care about our congregations, they feel like our children.
0: Yeah, every Every Mother's Day, I would say I'm, I'm nobody's mama, but I also have 300 children. That's um, exactly right. <laughs> and, and, it, and that's an honor and a gift to have that. So I'm not complaining.
1: And then I want to pick up, Alan, on something you said, that this isn't an answer book. This isn't a, a how to live life successfully book. The book of Proverbs acknowledges that life is complex. That means then that wisdom is situational. Mm. Part of wisdom is how do I find the truth or the principle that applies in this situation? Because like Alan said, it's not universal. So again, think about in our culture, the proverbial wisdom of our culture Look before you leap, be cautious. The early bird gets the worm, be eager. (laughs) Absence makes the heart grow fonder, true. Out of sight, out of mind, also true. So, So again, part of wisdom, why are there so many proverbs in this book? Because different situations call for different bits of wisdom. And the biggest place we see it in Proverbs is the place that we've seen it over and over. In our journey through the Hebrew Bible, we've talked over and over about what I call reward and retribution theology. Be obedient and faithful, God will pour out blessings and riches on you. Be disobedient Mm -hmm. and unfaithful, God will pour out punishment on you. Well, some of that's in Proverbs because that was a very popular idea when all of this was being collected. So that's on the one hand, but on the other hand, the book of Proverbs acknowledges that there is an element of mystery to life. It doesn't always work out on paper so neatly as reward and retribution theology wants us to think. It acknowledges like the book of Job, that sometimes the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper um, and uh, it, this, this is, I think, most of all of what it asserts is it's better to be poor and righteous. It's better not to be successful from the world's point of view and fear the Lord than it is to have wealth and success that is gained through uh, dishonesty or unfair dealings. So, again, that very practical, ethical element, it's it's the the book of Proverbs is a thousand applications of the golden rule Mm. treat others the way you want to be treated.
0: And I'm so glad it has that mystery element in there, because, you know, that's my favorite part of Christianity is that I don't have all the answers and that I'm okay with it, you know.
1: So, exactly. so taken as a whole, if I try to, if I try to sum it up, it's hard to do.
0: Right.
1: Proverbs is all about relationships. We need to have a certain relationship with God. We need to have a certain relationship with family and friends. We need to have a certain relationship with strangers. Even if they're not family and friends, we need to treat them fairly. We need to treat them with equity. Collectively, then that means we have a certain relationship to society. to to the larger human family. We need to have a certain relationship with our possessions. We need to be in control of them instead of them being in control of us. We need to have a certain relationship with creation. God has made us stewards of this wonderful world we live in. We need to take care of it. So Proverbs is very interested in helping us be in right relationship with God, with people, and with every aspect of our life. That's my best attempt at a concise summary.
0: Amazing. Wonderful. I've learned more than I ever knew about Proverbs in the last 25 minutes. (laughs) And I think you're preparing um, Alan and I to tackle this as we dig in a little deeper and like having that in our minds, like how it was written for the times it was written in, for the people it was written in, but also how do we apply that to our daily life?
1: And, And you guys know I'm always interested in where, where is this moving us toward the New Testament? Mm-hmm. So yes. the, the New <laughs> Testament counterpart of the book of Proverbs is James.
0: Mm.
1: Very eclectic, uh, very practical. Faith in Jesus is rarely mentioned, but always assumed. So you see the parallels there. Um, One of the cool things about Proverbs is the personification of wisdom, lady wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And so in Proverbs 8, lady wisdom is giving a banquet and lady folly is giving a banquet. And both of us, both of them are trying to get us to come to their banquet. But one is better than the other. So sermon on the Mount: There's a way that leads to destruction and there's a way that leads to life. And one is better than the other. And then the uh, other thing that I love about Proverbs, um, wisdom is so important in the wisdom literature that wisdom in the book of Proverbs is said to be the first thing God created. And then wisdom becomes God's agent in creating the rest of the heavens and the earth. That's exactly what the prologue of the Gospel of John says about Jesus. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created through the Word, and apart from the Word, nothing that was created came into being. Colossians 1, Christ is the firstborn of creation, all things were created through him. Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. So wisdom in the sense that it is a precursor of or almost a parallel to the incarnate Christ in the New Testament holds a very lofty place in the Hebrew Bible.
0: What a joy to learn from you today, Dr. Tony. As always, we love you. We thank you for your wisdom and for um, just to be listening and understanding more as you teach us. Listeners, as always, remember that we love you, but most importantly, God does.